Fires burning, fires burning, draw nearer, draw nearer, in the glowing, in the glowing, come sing and be merry. I'm Ian Shanahan. And I'm Jade Harvey Beryl. And welcome to our Fireside Chat. Hello and welcome to Earthy Chats, Fables from the Field. This is our summer sub-series of Earthy Chats, where we're going to talk about our favourite outdoor learning equipment and resources as we share stories of our outdoor adventures and sometimes mishaps out in the field. These very serious people dressed head to toe, you know, in taupe. Uh, old forest green just slowly turned to me yeah. with binoculars still on face yeah. and give you a look through the binoculars i imagine that could kill um because i'm supposed to be being quiet in the quiet bird watching place <laughs> <laughs> so i've definitely encountered them um and um i don't quite fit in always liked the idea of binoculars because when you hold them you look like you know what you're doing yeah you know, it, there's a it gives, yes exactly attached to holding binoculars and being like i am focused here um i've had experiences with all kinds of different you know very high powered binoculars and very expensive ones now um for the outdoor learning store these child ones right yeah. sort of um like they fit in the hands, they're small, um, and obviously they're not the most powerful binoculars for an adult, but um, what they definitely do is magnify whatever you're looking at to a point where we could look, uh, we were looking at an eagle that was about a kilometre offshore uh, on a little sort of braided river island in the Columbia River uh, in Revelstoke, and it was just sort of sitting there um, and I presume waiting for fish. Yeah, We didn't most actually likely. see it going for anything, but it was um, I had 12 kids on the sort of outdoor recreational camp. And um, I had, at that time, only one pair of binoculars, these little ones. I was testing them, basically, actually. Uh, and said, oh, eagle, and looked. And then, of course, every child wanted to access it. And we were living mm-hmm. in the time of COVID. Um, so I'm got my binoculars and um having to uh wipe them with a sanitary wipe between each usage for the children for 12 uh, students for 12 students oh. praying hoping and that this eagle would st- sit still and not fly away so that some of the other kids didn't get disappointed he did to his credit um big american eagle and i just I've actually got a really good picture of, of one of the students and they're all in a line and children like these are, these were probably six to eight year olds. Um, okay. Don't like waiting. They don't like waiting, do they? <laughs> nope. And I always, no, not one bit. And they, uh, taking turns is really something that's still developing at this point. And I try and program whatever I'm doing to minimize any lengthy waits for things. So now I have 
20 pairs of binoculars, um, which makes things easier. But in this situation, it just was a, a rare moment. We were walking, we spotted this animal and we, um, we stopped. Um, but I've got this picture of these kids, just they were all standing and looking at the eagle, but they were waiting patiently for their turn to use the binoculars because it felt, I think, special to to have yeah. access to this this piece of equipment or this this magical thing that was going to make them see better and it really i was very impressed at how you know whether for me or the gravitas or whatever of holding the binoculars being in control of the situation and having this extra special bit of equipment made them wait patiently in a very unusual fashion yeah i guess there's just a certain iconicism i think that's the way to say it as a noun that eagles are iconic let's go with that i mean you don't define yourself as a birder <laughs> no we'll you? get into that <laughs> yeah but you as someone who knows a lot about birds american bald eagle the same thing yeah i mean it's i guess the, just... you know the english names of anything tend to be variable with birds it's fixed there's actually the american ornithology union which gives me a bit of a giggle that they determine the official English names of birds. But you move to like most other groups of species, especially plants. Some plants have like eight different names. It's like Lord of the mm -hmm. Rings characters. It's like, wait, I thought his name was Gandalf. <laughs> oh, like, gosh. Oh, no, Mithrandir and everything else. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> Open up a wildflower book and it, it's the Lord yeah. of the Rings. It's, it's Tolkien. That's it. And if you look at geological time scale, the UK <laughs> versus the American time scale. Yeah. Um, really, like for us, it's the Hoxneyan 400,000 years ago, and here it's the Devonian. It's like, come on, guys, right. have a conversation. Yeah, We're all chat. speaking the same language. If you could just unify, then I don't have to write these extremely long, convoluted words twice when I write a piece of research or whatever. I but anyway. About that. Jeez, that is... Minor gripe. And then, of course, yeah. the, when you look at published research, oftentimes they won't translate it. So I have to, I've got, I mean, I've got this beautiful chart, but you do have to learn everything twice, which was moderately annoying at university when there was already lots of other things to learn. Hey there, folks. This is Ian, one half of the Earthy Chats host team. I'm just here to let you know about the Talking with Green Teachers podcast produced by Green Teacher. If you don't know who Green Teacher is, we are a nonprofit network of environmental educators all around the world. You can join this network for only $32 a year. That includes a subscription to our quarterly magazine, which has been running in North America since 1991. All proceeds go back into the organization to help us enhance environmental literacy among young learners. For more information, check out greenteacher.com. You can find Talking with Green Teachers wherever you get your podcasts. All of the resources featured in this podcast, plus many more, for students and educators alike, can be found online at the Outdoor Learning Store. Visit www.outdoorlearningstore.ca to view what's on offer. From waterproof notepads to binoculars and dip nets to sit pads, the store has you covered to take your learning outside. In addition, there are educator resource books to help you take your outdoor education to the highest level. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. We're Canada's non-profit resource store. The whole idea of like birder, bird watcher, twitcher, the whole thing. 
uh, and you alluded to it, I don't necessarily consider myself a birder. At the same time, I'll steal a line from Casey Ray Christopher from her fourth episode. She said she tries not to take herself too seriously, and we all agreed that, yeah, that's kind of a nice way to go about things. So I, you know, I absolutely don't get hung up on the terminology of like, I'm a birder, and you must always say that. But I... (laughs) I used to be more interested in kind of running running around to, you know, see as many birds as possible. I've never really been into listing per se, but I, I really now probably wouldn't fit the definition of a birder for most people. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. So, I mean, rare birds show up all the time. You know, they have wings, they show up in weird places. So, in my hometown, a good friend of mine just near his place had a thick-billed kingbird show up. This is quite a few years ago. And I was working about a three-hour drive away at the time at Algonquin Park. And my boss was kind enough to say, you know what? You've worked hard this summer. That bird showed up in your hometown. You can take the rest of the day and go see it, which was very nice. But I thought thought Hmm. about it and I was like, you know what? You know, I'm going to drive three hours there. I'm going to drive three hours back. I might see it. I might not see it. It turns out I probably would have seen it. It stuck around for a couple days. (laughs) And... Then, then what? Like, what do I really have a window into that bird's life by seeing where it showed up accidentally? I mean, maybe. I, I think another angle mm. of that is a lot of rare species don't survive. That's not entirely true with some groups, like gulls, for example, are pretty tough. They they can just kind of roll with mm-hmm. it. But a lot of the songbirds don't survive especially if they end up somewhere in the winter. Now, fortunately, this was summer, but I just ultimately decided, I was like, yeah, you know what, I'm not going to go. And I still get chided about it regularly by people in my friend group. It's like, you have the opportunity. Yeah, but I I don't regret it. And, and, you know, I don't think too strongly about it either way, but yeah, just run the running around thing just doesn't really appeal to me. I I just kind of like sitting and, you know, it's like we talked about with the sit spots. I like just sitting and seeing what comes to me. And I I kind of like just seeing things where they're quote unquote meant to be. You know, a rare species doesn't really have an ecological role. Whereas, you know, the the robins are, that's, they're here. You know, they very much have a role in many, many different ways. And observing their behavior is in some ways more revealing and more rewarding, less arbitrary, I guess. Yeah, you're not a collector. You're not collecting them right. in order that to to sort of validate your love of nature. As I have mm. this list of all of the ones that I've had, you're not taking ownership. It's more like I like to be in nature, and and yeah, you see what's around you in that moment, and I love that very much. I saw my first northern flicker um, yeah. on on the top of our trampoline, actually in the backyard, and it's just the, you know the, the color of it, just this sort of smooth taupe golden with the dots Mm. and I don't know I just I sat on my sofa looking out of my window and just watched this this bird sort of investigate the backyard and yeah that made me really really happy to just have that interaction in that moment in my place and um I mean I do love a list I'm not going to lie oh I'm always making lists that have lists oh yeah because it's, and then it's, you know, you're effectively engaging in citizen science, right? And there's yep. the sort of like bird ID organizations and things that would always be interested um, in sightings or 
sort of you doing a um what's the word i'm looking for monitoring i suppose but i think if you can see something and then getting to see more detail and being able to like using binoculars to to look closely if you get the that that chance encounter is it changes potentially your appreciation for how detailed you know wing structures are mm. or how um iridescent feathers are under certain circumstances we are the columbia basin environmental education network or cbeam you can visit our website at cbeen.ca we are the regional network for environmental education in the columbia basin supporting a community of engaged and effective environmental educators by connecting them to resources information professional development and networking opportunities Stoked on Science, providing engaging, educational and fun programmes across the Columbia Basin. Is your school or organisation looking to develop your environmental programming? Connect your outdoor time more deeply to the curriculum or engage your students or teachers with unique programmes that go beyond the basic science topics, like delving into the history of the earth, how it's changed and where it's going. If so, visit www.stokedonscience.com to connect for environmental education consulting or to book programmes for your K-12 and adult professional development courses. Uh, we have a Facebook group um, where I am. It's called Friends of the Feathered um, and it's for local birders. It's amazing, actually. And... But what's you know slightly annoying is I really want to want to run a workshop because there are some incredibly knowledgeable people here. There's mm -hmm. a site map that they've created of different areas, and then they use those areas. They always specify um, what area the picture was taken, when it was taken. It's, I mean, you could literally use this as data collection. They're so um, really good at being specific. All these, like some of these people look like professional photographers, the pictures they're getting and the variety. And, you know, I want to run a, a workshop about birds. And I said to them like, oh, you know, does anyone want to run it? And they're all like, oh no, we'd love to go to it. I'm like, you don't need to go to it. You're already <laughs> professionals from what I can see. You know, they have all the ID like they really know and lots of long-term locals who um, are really connected to their environment. But it makes me really happy that there is, you know, social media or whatever is not just being used to disseminate political information but there are this this even in my city of seven thousand or however many we have now people that every single day every single day there are new posts of beautiful pictures of birds and i know for a fact they're taking them with with long lenses and then there's pictures of other people in their group with binoculars doing their thing and they're doing it in a really um sort of non-invasive way yeah, I think the face of enjoying birds has really shifted. I mean, it used to be a fairly... I mean, people used to get dressed up in suits to go bird watching. And it, it used to be more skewed towards men of a particular age. And, and you know, times times change. I'm not here to point fingers at the past. But it it certainly has expanded to many different demographics. And I think people are enjoying them in different ways. And I also don't want to sound like I'm throwing shade at listers or as they're referred to in the UK, twitchers, 
because you mentioned about citizen science and with tools like eBird and iNaturalist, there are incredible contributions for free, voluntarily, uh, being contributed to citizen science by a lot of listers and Twitchers. So all of that is great. Yes, a lot of Twitchers tend to burn a lot of carbon. I mean, that, that's just part of the discussion. How did you ever come across Twitchers in the UK? Yes, yes, and you're right. There is a sort of either they're not. It's a definite. It's a definite subculture. Oh um, yeah, and it's taken really quite seriously. Um, and like you say, perhaps not even like now in full sort of camouflage regalia, but like it's, there's a very certain uniform. And yep. You could also go out into the bush, you know. I mean, I don't feel like the UK really sort of counts as having any real like bush anymore. Right. Um, but they definitely could survive. Um, but a lot of the UK, where there were previous landfill or uh, sites, go through this sort of habitat restoration yeah. program, which I think is mandated right so if you fill the ground with garbage you must then regenerate it later and so we have a lot of these reservoirs right so they fill the landfill up around and then they create um, a natural pond mm -hmm. uh, sorry not natural um they create a pond and then the sort of natural plant native species and then the ecosystem sort of develops from there and we there's an enormous amount of them where i'm from just outside london because believe it or not london has quite a lot of people and they produce an enormous amount of waste um <laughs> and a lot of the time they've what? <laughs> never um they've built lots of like bird hides like actual areas yeah. you know these beautiful camouflage boxes where you can go and, and do it but me being me, I've definitely got in trouble a couple of times because I'm like, ooh, 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 you know, so-and-so's there or this rare Asiatic duck that's now migrating. <laughs> and um, these very serious people dressed head to toe, you know, in taupe uh, or forest green <laughs> just slowly turn to me yeah. with binoculars still on face. Yeah and give you a look through the binoculars, I imagine that could kill, because um, I'm supposed to be being quiet in the quiet bird watching place. <laughs> so I've definitely encountered them um, and um, I don't quite fit in, but I think I'm sure they're a friendly bunch really. I did try and call a Canadian oh, yeah. bird person, birder, a twitcher, and they looked at me as if I had- Yeah, just um, over the head. Grace, we were all just grossly insulted. I'm a what? And I was like, Oh, it's sort of a, ne never mind. Um, but no, I find that there's, wherever you find people who are deeply passionate, and we need people that oh, are yeah. deeply passionate about each subject. Yeah, there's a dress code. There's a, a, a way of doing <laughs> things. And um, yeah, I like it, but I, I don't own enough taupe. Not enough Gore-Tex. <laughs> Plenty of that, but I'm more of a bright orange. Yeah. The flip side of binoculars, both figuratively and literally, is that they can be a great tool for looking at crystals, minerals, insects, because you flip them over and you look at them backwards and then you bring an object up close and it turns into a magnifier, like a, like a hand lens. It's Try a, it out. Wow. It's, a, it's a nifty... I've never done that. Yeah. That's yes. amazing. And I do love, as you know, obsessed with rocks and crystals and actually it's one of the 
things I think engages students a lot oh, is, yeah. um, is, is, is shiny things, you know? Yeah, or, snowflakes too. Oh, that would work because hand lenses, yeah, definitely have the propensity to get scratched and, you know, I've only ever used them with, with older students and even then it's, you know, if it's not on a lanyard and in a little pocket, it's getting left around or dropped or anything. Binoculars yeah. are harder to leave behind as well. I like it. Yeah, I mean, they're versatile tools. I mean, I think they're associated often with either the military or birds, but there, there's a lot more to it. Really, any way that you want to enjoy nature, particularly bringing distant things close up or bringing very small things into a larger scale. Thank you for listening to Earthy Chats, Fables from the Field. You can access all of the equipment we feature in the show at www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. We hope you enjoy your own field adventures this summer. Take care. the thing about birds is they're everywhere always <laughs> and you can say the same about insects but they're more them, prominent insects are so small yeah birds are, are everywhere mm. always and they're in your face but usually not in an intrusive way mm -hmm. yeah. Well, usually <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean alfred hitchcock aside <laughs> but um, yeah i mean um i was saying about birds that um in Iceland, I got attacked by an Arctic tern. Oh, but they, or is, 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 there's another one that begins with SK, like a skewer.